So it's Monday morning, and Lord Wayne has just walked in, and so let's get started. I'm Ace Colwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, darling. Hey. Hey. Do you remember a few weeks ago, a few months ago, you bought me that uh, bald man hair kit? I do. I remember that. So uh, can I just say, exfoliate, (laughs) cleanse in the shower, open blade razor, shave your head, and then... You put on like this astringent thing. It's a full set that you bought me. Mm. And then this uh, like menthol hair prote- head protecting thing. Listen, I know there's a rule that you never touch a black man's hair. But do you want to slap my head? Oh, it feels so good. You're the best. You get the best presents. I'm Ace Colwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Ambo Recorded Radio. All right, let's let you settle in. <laughs> That's a good intro. That's. <laughs> I said to this, so V walked in not thirty seconds before yeah. you did. She came in. She like made you coffee. Yeah. And she came in and she's like, he wants an espresso. And so she goes and takes it away. And I was like, can you close the door? Because I need Scott to put in the code to get in the door, <laughs> so I can, so I can lead into the intro of Scott barging in. And she goes. She kind of looks at me, and she brings a coffee, and she goes, I made him coffee already. If he wants an espresso, he can go get it. He can go get that himself. <laughs> it's, not, it's not espresso service here. Uh, no. All right, not. so pointless plug of the week. Clearly, this is brought by Mountaineer brand Hacker, who have not paid for this product placement and are probably unwillingly having this plug, given the state of my head. But, uh, yeah, if you're, a, if you're bald, if you're a bald person, and uh, you want that relaxation and meditation time in the shower, Mountaineer brand uh supported by Ace Colwood in the purchase of making Scott Wayne look shinier than he's ever looked before. There we go. You're All welcome, right. everyone. We've got a lot audience. to get. We have a lot to get through this week, so so let's dive in here. Um, hey, Perry, while we're doing this, will you look up uh, whatever it is Governor Cox has said about limiting social media for mm. uh, uh, people? Because we want to talk about that, and as usual, I haven't done the research. So, Perry, by the time we get to that, let's go. I'm going to start with Scooters. Scooters, yeah, we Scooters. got some new ones in town. Yeah, so uh, we have Lime and some other thing that is, oh, Bird Scooters in, in our home city of Richmond, Virginia. Well, Spin have arrived, and as part of the contract with the city, the city has made them place 20% of the scooters in the south side of Richmond, right. which for those of you who, and most of you are not from here, the south side of Richmond is historically where uh, people of color lived and working class white white folk, um, and which was basically just a a racist line across the river, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous because it's great and it's got all the parks and all the rivers and all those kinds of things. Anyway, so a raft of scooters have shown up in our neighborhood. And <laughs> so I rented one yesterday. Did you really? No, day before yesterday. Just and to try it? Or no, no, like, no. I okay. just had the kids race it up and down wow. the street. And Lovely. then I gave my, I'm, a, I'm sure I'm, I'm about to get a ticket from the city of Richmond for saying this. And then I put Dylan, my nine-year-old, on it and we are scooting around the neighborhood. Okay, but my point of this is these scooters are being presented as cost-effective transportation for people who can't afford a car. Yep. And it's utter nonsense. 30 minutes cost me $13. Really? 13 bucks. This is not this this is another example of a venture capital land grab uh that is really just designed for middle-class hipsters. Wow. That is positioned as a social benefit so that we can take use of public resources. $13. 
Or, and so if compare that. So a bus fare, right right now buses are free. Mm-hmm. But a bus fare even when they're paid is $2.50. Yeah. This is not this is not a viable it's, alternative. To, no. Yeah. And to to be positioned as such, I think um highlights how very little the folks who are making decisions about yeah. accessibility, about mobility. Um, yeah, so the intent of let's put at least 20% of scooters on Southside for equity's sake, I think. I like the intent, but execution there. Like, If it's not affordable, it's, it's never going to work. So we've talked about this before. I, I think that ride share should be a social good, and I think I'm adding scooters to that mix. That said, they're incredible fun. Yeah. So hey, hey, can we stay on transportation for yeah. a second? Um, so you sent me a, a, a thing over the weekend, Sydney Sweeney's. Uh, oh yeah. Collab with Ford, which I think looks brilliant. It looks so good. So um, Sydney Sweeney is, uh, I don't know, Gen Z, mid twenty something. I think she's twenty four, twenty five. Yeah. Actress who's in the HBO hit show Euphoria, and she has collaborated with Ford um, to launch a new line of women's oriented workwear. Um, so a la the um, handyman type yeah. uh, gear here that started in Richmond. Um, but they've got this campaign out, and she talks about how she comes from a long line of mechanics. And this is, my friends, where I get really excited because <laughs> she's got a 1969 Ford Bronco that she restored. And I believe there's a Ford Mustang that she did as well. And for our loyal listeners uh, out there who know I'm also a truck guy, a Ford guy at that, I drive a vintage Ford. And so really, um, this is selfish. As much as I love the workwear line, we'll never be able to wear it, really appreciate her mechanical uh, prowess as she's restored these beautiful, beautiful vehicles. But Ford, as we migrate from me fanboying to uh, the next generation of taking heritage vehicles and converting them to EV. I'm really excited that Ford not only is doing campaigns like this and pushing the envelope, but they've released a crate engine. Um, So a crate electric engine, literally because it comes in a crate, you can pull this engine out, drop it into a truck, and everybody's been really excited. It's uh, it's similar to the scooters of highlighting the thing for PR sake, but the actual execution is tough. So this is the argument because I've I've got friends who drive yeah. old, you know, eighteen year old vehicles, and they're like, "Look, it's much better for me to drive this fuel inefficient gas guzzler yeah. than it is to buy a brand new electric vehicle." Yeah, and I you, there's some there's some analysis on this that says that's true. You're going even further, which is to say, I've got a 1970s vintage. Yeah. It's an F150, right? It's an F150, 78, and yeah. I would love. You know, the idea of dropping in an electric engine to this. Now, just just to be clear, is this a hint to the Ford Motor Company that if they wanted to run an ad campaign, I think it's Wyden and Kennedy that's running a campaign, uh, if they wanted to have an incredibly attractive young man yeah. filmed working in the garage here at, sorry, garage, garage here at Canvas yeah. on your truck, then you would be open to that uh, that gift. I think the attractive young man part would require me to have Perry working on the truck. But yeah, no. <laughs> um, so what's really interesting, actually, Ford would need to be involved because for as much as we tout, we can drop electric yeah. engines into vintage vehicles. The mechanic expertise to do that is still hyper-concentrated in a couple places. So I could get an electric engine for the four grand that it costs, but I have no expert. I would be putting a 
battery into a truck and then hoping it doesn't explode every time I turn <laughs> this thing on. Like the technical expertise to install it's tough. And so Ford, if you're out there and listening or somebody who is a degree away from Ford, uh, we need two crate engines for a 78 F-150 and a mechanic and that comes with it. And you probably want to drive out to Detroit to their labs to... To install it. That would be the documentary. Okay, so so let's do a little lesson in economics here, because I didn't even realize that Sydney Sweeney was like. I mean, I realized she was a person because she was in the ad. Yeah. But when I sent it to you last night, I didn't realize she was famous. I thought she was just somebody that. Yeah. 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 Kennedy have found. Okay, so so we're sort of pitching this as if they gift this, you will be like the influencer. But I'm just going to reverse this. Oh God. How much would you instead of being paid? Yeah. Sure. How yeah, much I'll would you? It. How much would you I'll pay? pay to drive to Detroit and sit in the Ford factory <laughs> and spend I'll, three weeks of your life installing this. I would absolutely do that. You'd pay a lot. Of money. I would pay All a lot right, of money. so Ford, we're willing to pay you for this experience. Okay. Um, can we? Uh, can yeah. we? Did we dedicate that, the that episode was already? Breath. No, I know. no, we didn't. We yeah, we do, but we should. We've we got should. A, um, we've got serious dedication. We do. I want to. I, I want to kind of acknowledge a teammate, coworker, dear friend of ours and her family as they uh, as they are dealing with some health issues in the family. Um, Elizabeth Klughart, you know what and why, and we're sending good vibes and energy uh, you and your family's way as you're up in Fredericksburg uh, grappling with what life looks like. So we are always distracted during this recording by something or other, yeah. but in this case we're distracted by something serious, which yeah. is you, Elizabeth. Absolutely. So we're with you. Okay. Um, there's always that pause where we just, just decide what's next. <laughs> oh, I'll I'll go. I'm, Can we go to etiquette? Let's go to let's go right, to etiquette. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm just gonna say if you're tall, stand in the fucking back. That's it. That, that, that's <laughs> I, that's etiquette. Etiquette section done for the week. I'm six four and as wide right. as a refrigerator. I want to talk Don't about. Stand in the front of I want to talk about something that I'm calling um, advantage disclosure ah. or advantage introduction. Okay. Because I have had a series. Of, the the past couple of weeks, I've had a series of conversations with actually really great men who are struggling with what they do next, and mm. that's a real thing. And mm. I, I want to talk about this in future weeks about yeah. um, men and boys are really falling behind and. While we sh- probably shouldn't care about that, mm. it has big ramifications for, for society. But I haven't finished the book yet, so okay. I don't want to talk about it. All right. Fair enough. Um, but I do want to talk about, there is also, I'm just tired of uh, people who who look and act a lot like me and, and Alan Dow. Sort of this self-made story thing, I'm just getting a little tired of it. This whole, uh-huh. like, I worked hard and I did this thing. So, and it's not the case, but I do think there's a new way for, for um, particularly white men to introduce themselves, okay. which is, is the advantage introduction, which I think actually makes you sound stronger. So, for instance, I would say when introducing myself in an event or a career, which is like, hey, I'm Scott Wayne. Uh, I work really hard on my job and I've become very successful in my field. But I also want to just call out, I had an amazingly stable family in an um, upper blue collar uh uh, part of, of the country of the UK. I went to a terrific state school, had at least two incredible teachers who pointed me on my path. Uh, and that's just a, a short a short list of some of the benefits as I had on my way. And I worked really hard and continue to work very hard to be in this place where I'm at right now. And I'm not sure that makes me any weaker. I suspect it makes me stronger in that room versus the whole like, yeah, and I'm, you get it. Everybody knows what I'm about to say. Yeah. So the advantage introduction. Just no, I, 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 I feel that as I present as, I don't know, 
I say my mom's from the hood in Philly, dad's from the projects of St. Thomas, and people get this picture, and I'm like, no, 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 but wait, like, they met at the Coast Guard Academy, and mom has a master's in engineering right. and eats differential equations for breakfast, and I was homeschooled, right? Like, yeah. I have incredible privilege, and to lead with that allows us to make commentary, I think, uh, in line with how people now see us and so yeah it allows for a different conversation yeah different. and when i say when i say white men it's just that we over index mm-hmm. in this but it's it's anybody yeah it's just sort of let's like if we're going to talk about this sort of meritocratic ideal on either side of the atlantic yep let, let's let's state our starting blocks as it as it goes out um, yeah i like yeah. that well I, I, actually what made me think about it was i was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and and he described how i was talking about advantages in private schooling and our kids go to one of my kids goes to private school and we're talking about that and he said hey you know i i went to um i went to boarding school so I'd, i've just got to say that i went to a really good sort of private boarding school that my grandparents paid for and it, so and then later he mentioned that both of his parents were alco- alcoholics mm-hmm. and his his grandparents had got him out of there mm-hmm. and i include that as well mm-hmm. which is like look let's just Describe our starting blocks in the sprint race. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And mine, mine were pretty damn far ahead. Okay. Like um, my obsession with unpacking things in jars. This is the therapy part <laughs> of the session. I just want to know if I'm crazy or not. So you might be. I, I unpacked over the weekend. Um, one of the things I did, I took a, a big thing of oatmeal mm-hmm. from Target and I poured it into two glass mason jars. And it ah. was stored perfectly well mm-hmm. in the big thing. And you took it so, out of the thing. I took it out and I put it, put in. it in a different thing. And I unpack everything. So yeah. grocery shopping for me is, I'm just interested in, pe- in people's rituals and how my OCD is coming along um, around unpacking groceries. So I wash all the fruit and vegetables. I prep it. Um, but I unpack like pasta and stuff into jars and you can see it all there. And I, I think it's my craving for order. So I'm just throwing, I'm interested in if anybody else does this versus the perfectly good boxes that are designed that the product comes in, if anybody else does this. And if there is, maybe we start a, maybe we start a group. But it's not a therapy group because I don't want to change the behavior. I quite no, like it. I, I find it quite soothing. I imagine you unpacking, un- unpacking, unpacking. unpacking pasta into your mason jars and just whispering because I'm not a puffo. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I imagine happening. Look, normal you know, people. I think you might be onto it. What, what he couldn't quite say, he he whispered it. Was this it's whole? There's this whole thing. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a whole British thing about povos, which is it's completely inappropriate, and it's not our fault. It's no, it's, it's Scotty's fault. It, it is. Who who sends us stuff, and we watch, it and it's funny. I just but, normal but yeah, people no, go I think, grocery shopping. I think and it you is, I, think, I think it's a little bit of like. Yeah. I'm. Firstly, I'm going to try to control this thing, but secondly, yeah, we're. We're not, we're not peasants anymore in this family, children. We've <laughs> yeah. come a long way. We have things stocked yeah. in glass. Hey, things. just because I came from a very stable upbringing, it doesn't mean we weren't peasants. There we go. I'm not pretending to be a class or two higher than we actually are. There okay. Um, so, Perry, what, what has Governor Cox done in Utah? This makes it feel like a news show. As it if does. It's having any lives in it. But literally, it's just because I didn't read to it. To our infield Utah. reporter, yeah. Perry. Yeah. yeah, reporter on the ground here. So, Utah Governor Spencer Cox appeared on Meet the Press Sunday to defend two new state laws that will restrict the use of social media by children and teens. So after reading through all this without getting too far into the details of it, it looks like he wants to restrict the use of teenagers and children because of a spike in uh, stress, depression, anxiety, and suicide among teens. And it goes further into details about what the law is actually going to do to restrict that. 
but he's the first state to act on it. There are a lot of states that have been yeah. talking about that, but he's the first state to uh, to implement it or to to push it yeah. to Congress. Okay, so how do you feel about that when you hear it? I have mixed feelings. On on one hand, it's like a yeah, we've, social media is probably detrimental to all of us, yeah. and there, I, I'd be curious to see the long, longitudinal studies on that. But um, the second is, ooh, but how do you how do you restrict the children getting on the internet? So I like mixed bag. There's the very American part of me that's like, ooh, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And then there's the, okay, but somebody probably ought to tell us what so, to do. So, so this brings up two things for me. It's the whole American, oh, don't tell me what to mm-hmm. do thing, which I want to come back to. But the other is just on the practicality. I agree with you that I think it's a fairly difficult law to enforce. And yeah. I, I, th- I think what Governor Cox is saying is that with parental consent, so if parents are involved, mm-hmm. it's sort of like opening a bank account for, for a teen. Is you can do it, but you need parent signatures yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Um, but we work, we work with some very senior government officials in the state of Utah. We, I, I don't know Spencer Cox, but they speak very, we trust them and they speak very favorably of him. And he's, um, but as a parent, it's quite interesting because it gives you the excuse to say, no, it's illegal. Mm. versus right now because there. the pressure yeah. isn't nobody wants their kids on social media it's very well documented that it's it's not healthy but at the same time you risk actually a degree of social isolation if your kid is excluded if everybody else is part of it yep. so i quite like it in that it gives all parents the license to say no nope, it's just like a driving license you're not old enough yet um stay off it now my friend brian Brian Cosio has literally just bribed his kid. So he <laughs> said, but this illustrates like we know this stuff is not good, particularly for young girls. He said to his daughter, I'll just pay you $1,800 if you stay off social media until you're 18. Yeah. Like flat out bribe. <laughs> I think his argument will, it's cheaper than the therapy she'll need if she's on social media. He's a brutalist thinker. <laughs> no, mean, but it's interesting. Really but though. my comeback to him was, but I'm not sure that's the solution. I think we need to pay our kids and their friends mm-hmm. to stay off social media. Now that starts to get expensive. <laughs> I think he anchored at 18 years old and $1,800. He may be regretting that already. Yeah. But I, th- this would be cheaper than a bribe. Uh, what if all of the parents put into a pool and the last child to stay off of social media gets the whole pool? Oh, actually, hey, if, if parents of my kids are listening, I'm, I'm game for that. Huh. So hang on, it's a betting pool, essentially. Yeah. So every oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So everybody Win. chips in two hundred and fifty dollars. Sure, winner gets winner gets kids, all twenty five hundred. Yeah. The last kid to go on social to have a social media account gets mm-hmm. the money. Just hold out, or it's split when you turn eighteen. Split the pool if between every, all the holdouts. Whoever is held yeah. out until they're eighteen. Yeah. Huh. Oh, <laughs> this is cool. Hey, um, can we say on protecting kids from yeah. themselves and uh, I don't know art? Um, I don't know if you followed the Tallahassee Classical School debacle, the, the headmaster or principal being let go for teaching uh, an art history class and showing Michelangelo's David um, and his full frontal glory. Um, look, I'm not going to go into deep commentary. I'm just going to read a snippet from a thing that I saw. Yeah. And I think it sums up how I might have articulated it. For the parents who were upset that they didn't get advance notice that they were going to see uh, the genitalia of Michelangelo's David. As for advance notice, I can't fathom what the parents in this case expected when they learned that their child would be taking a class in Renaissance art history. Not anticipating nudity in a course like that is like not anticipating F-bombs in a class devoted to the films of Martin Scorsese. I just, like, 
cool. I want advance notice of things, and I'm not thinking about Renaissance uh, art where we were exploring the human form and body, and there was quite a bit of nudity. Is ludicrous, and I think we're maybe going a bridge or five too far. So I, I let's talk about circles. Yeah. So so Shakespeare taught us that. You know, here's a bit quoting Shakespeare. There's no stereotypes there. So Shakespeare taught us that life is circles. Yeah. Okay. So, so genius and madness, King Lear. Yeah. Right? Genius and madness. It's it's the extremes of a of a circle. They they're very close to each other, and I and I think that <laughs> confidence, humility. <laughs> You come across. <laughs> You're pointing at me. Both, you are gesturing across, to me. As we occasionally okay. come across as humble because yeah. there are lots of things that we're like, no, 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 I'm fine with this. I don't care about it. You, you go first, all those things, which is really just extreme confidence that <laughs> we don't give a crap what other people think, right? So, so, but likewise, a circle. Yeah. Let's, let's just go extreme right and extreme left on this because how far away are we from in Florida, extreme right wing saying, we shouldn't see a penis versus extreme left wing <clears throat> where we are now in the UK republishing Roald Dahl novels to not use the word fat and whatever else in it. Like, isn't this the same thing? I mean, it's, it's sort of the same thing Yeah. while yelling at each other across the divide. I mean, it's just, it doesn't really deserve airtime. It's just nonsensical. It, it really is. Interestingly enough, the, uh, that commentary that I just read out was from, uh, Nick Catogio at The Dispatch, which is a right-leaning uh, publication. And so it's funny that e yeah. for as ludicrous as this is, we're finding some common ground on the right and left of the aisle saying, come on. I don't wonder if this isn't... We're not coming to the end of this era where the, the, we are pushing so far to extremes that the nonsensicalness of it... And it is connecting that circle. Maybe, maybe this presents some yeah. hope, actually, that there is... Um, an element we're, we're sort of yeah. yeah I don't have the words let's come back to that let's uh, talk yeah. about that in a future, future episode uh, linked to that though I did have a question with you as, as we're talking about um, redefinition of lots of things and one of the things I'm really proud of um, uh, around Gen Z actually there's lots of things that I love about Gen Z I think millennials your generation we're the worst just, yeah, no, I'll take by that far one. the worst so don't laugh at that Perry <laughs> but Gen Z, one of the things I love about Gen Z is their absolute comfort hmm. around sexual identity, right? Yeah. So which is just like, we don't really care who's attracted to who, we don't really care what gender is, gender as a whole, like everything is fluid, but not in a like, not in a uh, performative way or active, it's just very relaxed about yeah, the whole thing. it just is. Um, and uh, so, so I love that. But I had a question for you around the diversity wheel. That you that is taught in DEI, which is very common to teach in DEI. Mm -hmm. Would you just describe it, and then I I want to come on to a question about it. Yeah, so the diversity wheel is a, a tool we use um, to highlight all of the places we talk about diversity as all of the ways we are both similar and different, and we often focus on the differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And so, as a group exercise, we use a tool called the diversity wheel. There are various iterations out there, but all function similarly. Um, Co-centric circles. And so the middle is your personality, just innate to who you are. Um, the first circle, the primary circle, are um, your core identities that you can't choose, the identities you were born with. Um, the secondary circle are your early influences. So your dad was an oil rigger. Uh, you didn't choose that, but it very much influenced yeah. your life. And then the tertiary circle would be 
the things that you choose today. So a career degree of education that you opted into of your own volition, uh, political affiliation, religion, etc. And so you've got these series of circles to, to start to articulate the things that you chose, the things that were influencing how you make decisions today, but you didn't really have control over so on and so forth. And so that's the exercise. Yeah. Um, in that first circle would be gender. And we often talk about the first circle as the identities you cannot choose. But I saw your note here yeah. in asking if gender belongs in the first circle anymore. So th there are lots of versions of this. So yeah. I, I pulled one up. Yep. Um, race, age, national origin, ethnicity, physical and mental ability, mm -hmm. sexual orientation, and gender. And uh, yeah, my question was just, does gender still fit that? You know, it's, it's, I have not officially moved it in our iteration of the diversity wheel, but I consider that every time I, every time I introduce this tool. And so um, I have heard it described, and I actually like this, is um, your sex is the piping. Right, yeah. and so uh, the the um, appendage or um, your reproductive organs that you were born with, those would be in that first circle to start until you've opted to perhaps change them. Um, whereas sexual orientation or gender as a construct might move to that uh, might actually move to the third ring, which would be interesting. Um, so to, to the identities oh, that yeah. you choose yeah. today, right? right. Um, so yeah, I, there's probably a longer conversation and I need to convene the council of DEI elders, if you will, and run this by them. <laughs> um, but it, it is, every time I talk about it, it's uh, I'm waiting for somebody to flag like, that. Yeah. And it, it would be a worthwhile conversation about social construct versus uh, some of the organs we're born with and how that might change over time. So I, I think that the reason I raised it was that... <clears throat> There is, um, you know, this this conversation that is being led in Europe, at least by J.K. Rowling. It's yeah. not even a conversation. People are just screaming and yelling at her. Um, now it helps that you're the richest. She may be the richest woman in the world. It's like, well, I'll just say whatever I want. Um, but she has is being misinterpreted, I think, about her views around gender identity and transgender in particular. What she's in defense of is women's experience, and if if we dilute gender we take away the ability to talk about what, what that is. And I just, I do think for, for people of maybe older generations or uh, societies that have not moved along this, this journey so far, is that actually owning that this was something that we said was prescribed mm. and it may not be, and, having that, and recognizing that it's difficult to wrap your head around might make some of these conversations easier. And I just thought that the diversity will, given that it was taught, it is taught by the DEI community, is an interesting tool to say, hey, yeah, we used to say this, we used to say this, DEI practitioners, mm -hmm. and now we have to look at it differently, and, and maybe that would be helpful in the conversation. I will say, one for, for those of you who do teach this, I'm going to share an Ace Colwood technique, which I enjoy observing. Can I share this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what you're about so, to share. So if, if Ace feels like he's going to lose an audience by presenting this as the diversity wheel, because ah. people are... <laughs> offended by it being DEI content. Look, as soon as I say diversity in any conversation, I lose half of the... Actually, I lose both, both halves of the audience for different yeah. reasons. One is because we talked about it. So I've brought up diversity. I lose one half that's like, oh, this is bullshit. And then the other half crucifies me for not doing enough on the topic. 
And so I just nobody's happy when we talk about DEI period. And, you know. So what do you call it instead? Uh, we call it the experience wheel. And how how do those people who wouldn't like diversity react to it? It's the, the experience of the experience wheel is wonderful. We learn all of the overlaps that we have, and we highlight some of the things that we might not have talked about professionally, but have now come to the surface through this exercise about how we grew up, where we came from, why we make the decisions we do, and it makes for a significantly more cohesive executive team or group of peers who now have contextualized each other a little differently. Hey, so it's, I, uh, it's, I dig that. It's just words, though. It doesn't make a difference. No. It, we it shouldn't think about it. Oh, possibly. I'm li- I was literally playing a podcast that I was looking up to plug. So yeah. coming on to... Oh. No, no, no. I was going to make a note on J.K. Rowling. Um, I think there is a... We have lost some nuance and our ability to debate complex topics that can't be distilled to 140 characters is lost. And maybe J.K. Rowling has some cogent approach to transgender. But what I will say is with great privilege comes responsibility. And she is the richest woman in the U.K. or close to it. Um, And I think she throws some incendiary shit out there that is harmful and dangerous to the trans community. Um, So yeah, we can talk about dilution of gender and what that means for folks who are pushing women's rights and trying to find some equity or equality there. But uh, I think how she does it is harmful, particularly for someone as gifted as she is with literature and words and making cogent, articulate points. Um, I think she misses the mark there often. And that's part of the issue where the topic itself might be an important one uh, to, to debate. I don't think she does it particularly well. That's my take on J.K. Rowling. I was trying to think of a Harry Potter joke to move this on, and I haven't really read the books, so I can't. <laughs> it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. All right, let's move on. That's uh, Envoy Tank friends. Radio. So yep. this is a section where we, we try to bridge civilian to military worlds and um, help civilians connect with the experience of, of life in the military, with the disclaimer that neither of us have served directly. We just we work with a lot of... Um, Correct. All of that stuff. Yeah. So there's, we're at the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War. There is a fantastic BBC podcast that goes into the background. It's it's 10 short 20-minute episodes interviewing uh, Americans and Brits who are heavily involved with it. CIA officers, senior State Department officials. Mm. Uh, Tony Blair is interviewed on it and various people. Um, it is just tremendous. If you get the chance to listen to it, listen to it. Not just for the history, but it's sort of the behind-the-scenes decision-making um, and the choices that were made and the accountability that's given. Yeah. I have to say, Richard Dearlove, who was the head of the Secret Intelligence Service at the time, commonly known as MI6, um, does not come off well in this. Um, mm. it does, there is sort of... It, it's interesting to look at... Uh, what people own and what people don't, yeah. how difficult decisions were made, the information you have at the time, implications, the unexpected pieces. Just listen to it. I, yeah. I think it's actually fairly well balanced. Um, and for those who are interested, less in the, the, the Iraq conflict itself, but just how decision-making gets made behind the scene and the limits to power and influence from yeah. one country to another, um, is, it's, it's a fascinating listen. I, I'm looking forward to that. I wasn't familiar, and now I am. I dig that. Um, hey, you were going to tell uh, Perry and I words that white American men can't say, but foreign white men can. Well, I wasn't going to tell you, but I, I, I was. Oh, were you going to ask? Yeah, I planted this at the end. Like oh, J.K. Rowling. Do I have to have Like J.K. Rowling, I just planted this bomb at the end of the last recording <laughs> to say. I just, I thought it was. I think it's it's something I observe. Okay, it is something that I observe. So it's a, it, it's more of a question, which is. Uh, 
I receive a difficult, different, difficult, I receive a different physical response, mm-hmm. particularly from black men, as soon as they hear my foreign accent. And mm. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a British thing. I don't think it's a British accent. Mm. Um, just not an American accent. Just not an American accent. And I, I first experienced this actually with Mexican immigrant communities in Southern California, because huh. that's where I lived when I first moved to yeah. the States, which was the second they realized I wasn't an American. It was a much warmer relationship, <laughs> much warmer relationship. Um, now, I don't know if that's based on just how much that group, that community hated LAPD or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I sort of throw that out as a question. Yeah. Is that um, okay? I, I think there's... You speaking on behalf of millions of men. As as the lone black, other than Perry, representative in this room. Wow, um, we just we just took away. So, so two-thirds of us in this room might have an opinion. No, I, it feels to me like there's, um, there's just history and background and context within your family. And so when your brother or sister starts to say a thing, you already know how that's going to go. You've had this argument a couple times. Oh, and you're ju- you already – you just rile up when you hit a topic and you're like, okay, we're going. Um, whereas someone outside of your family, you give them a little benefit of the doubt and like a little space. That would you, explain it. Yeah. I mean – Yeah. It's kind of what it is. I, and – well, no. I'll, I'll talk very specifically about how humans – are wired. I think when I come across an American and the context of American, the social fabric and frameworks, etc., I feel a way when we start to head toward when I end up in the sticks, in the back roads of Virginia at times, and I come across an American, I'd feel a way which is different than coming across a Brit, particularly a, call it an older white man. Like there's there's an experience. When we bought the truck, <laughs> when I bought the truck, I took Scott with me to pick it up from like a tow yard in the backwoods of Williamsburg, and it felt sketchy. Didn't the Confederate flag didn't help? But <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So I was about I, to say I wasn't sure we were going to get out of there no, alive, well, but to specify, I wasn't sure you were going to get out of there alive. Yeah, I mean that's real. So we drove, I think it's we drove a, fast. I think it's a, a to use family as kind of a proxy for the wider experience of a country and then accents distinguishing oneself differently from the country I live in. Um, yeah. I, I want to chew on that a little bit more. But I like the analog, which yeah. is you've had this fight before, like with siblings, then yeah. somebody from outside the family, you're willing to have that discussion with mm-hmm. again. Whereas, so it's, it's just that, Oh, this is a foreigner. They're naive to all of this history, probably completely dumb to it all. And you expect and therefore, that their bias is different. We'll yeah. You hope. And uh, that may be silly. Probably not. But right. Yeah. Right, well, because you lot over there have different racism towards different history, people, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Um, on, on the issue of immigration, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm back to calling out liberals again. Okay. So, there's a lot of controversy in the UK at the moment over the government have introduced this policy of we, we have um, thousands of families coming over on small boats across the English Channel mm-hmm. to the United Kingdom. Um, who are immigrants from uh, Albania. Albania is one of the biggest source countries, uh, Syria, refugees, families coming for essentially a better life in the UK. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting, they've made it to France, obviously, to get over to the UK, but yeah. they continue going. Now, one of the arguments around this is that we don't have ID cards in the UK. Oh, we need to come back to civil liberties. And, we do, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so we don't have ID cards, so it's sort of easier to get a job and benefits and everything else. But the government have introduced this 
I talked about Gary Lineker, the football player, a few yep. weeks ago. It's sort of fairly draconian immigration limits. And there's been lots of pushback. And the Home Secretary, Suella Breverman, who I should just say, I find a despicable human being. Just <laughs> the worst. Up there with my degree of dislike for Bojo, for Boris Johnson. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but they've introduced this policy that if you arrive, you'll be shipped off to Rwanda. They've cut a deal with the country of Rwanda, thousands of miles away in, in the middle of Africa to essentially create refugee camps. And and Braverman, the Home Secretary, sort of our, our Justice Secretary, what would be the equivalent? I don't know. She's responsible for immigration. Yeah. Um, was sort of photographed smiling and celebrating these, what look very much like detention centers mm -hmm. in, in Rwanda. Now, my point of this is not to get into that debate. There's plenty that's written about it. Is that it's back to this argument of us liberals, quote progressives, which is this sort of like, Everybody deserves the same and we're all equal. And we've got the same thing around immigration here in the US and in Canada. Mm -hmm. But I just want to say this. Like, there is this contradiction when we say everybody deserves like a good quality of life and yeah. everybody deserves a place where the human rights are respected. Because the one thing that nobody is asking for is to just open the borders. Yeah. There is a very easy solution for universal human rights, and that is just to open the borders of Europe open the borders of North America and let people come freely. And nobody, I mean, not quite literally nobody, but the, a tiny, tiny percent of the population. So just recognizing that we are talking within a spectrum, right? When we're talking about immigration mm -hmm. and we're talking about how we do it and all these, the one thing that we're not saying is, hey, all people are equal, therefore just open the borders because this would level everything very, very quickly. Pay rates would would crash dramatically as immigration. There's plenty of space. There's plenty mm -hmm. of space in the United States. There's plenty of space in the United Kingdom. Scotland is basically empty north of Edinburgh. <laughs> it is though. It really is. That's not a joke. Like the it's Scots pretty much empty. Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, but but nobody's saying it. So it's just to say, look, let's talk about the thing. Nobody's actually talking. Everybody's talking about restricting immigration. It's what type of restriction we're we doing. And look, I'm not a fan of shipping people to Rwanda. Um, and I despise this current policy and it's not, so the tagline is stop the small boats. It's yeah. not stop the small boats. It's, it's stop refugees. Stop the, it's stop people, people who are desperately trying to right? have a better yeah. life. So, yeah. but let's just put it in the realm of the realistic. Okay. My rant's over. Oh, that was fun. Oh, I was going to talk about the rights and freedoms in the United States. Yeah, let's, let's so just, just a second on that, because, okay. yeah, people are going to push back over, like, nobody tells me whether my kids can, can yeah. be on social media stuff. Just want it, they, wherever you have s people who are, like, espousing something passionately, there's always a bit of a tell. So when somebody says, I'm not emotional about this, this is just business, <laughs> right? There's no bigger tell that somebody's really emotional about the subject. The other piece is, so when we keep banging on about freedom... I think there's a bit of tell there because if you have a lot of freedom, you don't have to talk about it. It's like companies that talk about innovation all the time. Mm -hmm. Innovative companies don't talk about innovation. Uninnovative. So on that note, just a reminder, like in the United States, the place you have to carry your ID everywhere you go. Yeah. Like you have to carry your papers, so to speak. And jaywalking laws. This is a country where cities and states and municipalities tell you where you can cross a street. And so in the realm of like, hey, we might not let kids get on social media, maybe maybe we get rid of some jaywalking laws first. And maybe I can go for a run without carrying my driver's license and that's okay. There we go. I think so, we landed hey, there. Hey, but on that note, <laughs> there is a law still on England's books that all Englishmen have to ch sharpen their arrows on the church step every Sunday morning. So 
Anyway, you'll see me next week at the local church with my arrows, just doing that thing. We will see Scott next week. We'll see you next Monday <laughs> here. This has been Envoy Radio. We'll see you soon. Bye.